Welcome to another episode of the Luke Humphrey Running Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Humphrey, and our mission is to help you maximize your training through a blend of science and practicability. So let's get going. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is Luke with LukeHumphreyRunning.com. Yeah, just so I'm sitting down recording this at 4.30 in the afternoon. I usually record my podcast at... uh, uh, late morning, uh, just to tell you just quick, quick uh, story about how my day has gone so far. So, uh, I have a uh, my wife and I have an office here. You know about well, it's about six miles from our house. So, uh, but when we're in an office building, her cousin owns the office, and uh, he, we rent one of the office out of his office buildings, and. Uh, it, it's a nice place, but so the handle, there's a deadbolt and a handle on the door. And so put my mask on, gonna go use the restroom, come back and record this. And for whatever reason, the handle was locked and my keys, my phone, everything were still on my desk. So I couldn't find anybody in the building. Everybody was out to lunch. So I walked home six miles in the rain <laughs> and then uh, had to wait for my wife to get done with a couple of zoom calls and come back and drive me drive me back to the work <laughs> so I could record this and get all my stuff right <laughs> so here's where here's where we're at you know it's just one of those days but uh, in any case uh, it's nice to be with you and uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about iron in the runner um, you know we I, I put out a post uh, a little while ago about carbohydrate intake and um, the effect that would have on overtraining and how you feel fatigued and all those sorts of things and it kind of, I mean there's a there's a rabbit hole there's a big rabbit hole you can go down with why you feel fatigued you know so but since we were talking about carbohydrate I started I want to I was just starting to think about other things that would affect you uh, and like I said in the other post, uh, we, we tend to uh, just kind of blame training, right? And, and we say, oh, we're overtrained, but we sometimes fail. And I do the same thing. And we fail uh, to look at all the aspects, right? And so like the carbohydrate thing was, an, it was just to make, really make the point about how easy it is to um, things that we kind of take for granted that can have a profound impact on our training, right? For a sedentary life or just a, just trying to work out to stay healthy, it probably wouldn't have that much effect. But when we're really training hard, uh, all those little things add up. And so I started thinking about what other, what other areas we could look at. And so iron is probably the next, best, next biggest thing that people look at, right? And or that they miss. Um, but it's so easy to get low in iron and then you could go into things like vitamin d and guys would be testosterone and all these things right and so but today i want to focus on iron and so i just want to jump into that real quick and go through go through some things with with you all to kind of what you should be looking for and uh, some of the numbers you should be looking at so all right so i jumped in there a little you know quick quick podcast on the carbohydrate and overtraining uh and we're training hard by volume intensity or both uh, we know that the lack of carbohydrate has a direct relationship with performance and mood. And so that's why I brought up, uh, brought up that. And so uh, really when we're looking at it, it's, the problem is it's, like a, it's when you, your check engine light comes on 
and the mechanic gives you a range of options from you know the gas cap wasn't tight all the way to catastrophic engine fa failure right and so there's those two possibilities and there's probably four or five more in between those extremes and so fatigue can be quite the rabbit hole to dive into which i which i mentioned uh, but we have to go down it a little bit because I really think it's important that if you know what you're looking for, we can try to save some of these things off, right? So um, most of us are aware of iron and we're aware of its importance for performance. However, for the sake of making sure, iron is a mineral that is crucial for energy metabolism, processing carbohydrates, transporting oxygen, which is probably what we most know, know iron for, and the acid-base balance in the body. Being deficient can result in weakness, general fatigue, higher heart rate, shortness of breath, and decrease in your performance. The worst part is the endurance athlete can lose up to 70% more than their sedentary counterparts. So we can lose a lot of iron simply through the process of training. We lose it through heavy sweating, our urine, GI tract, uh, leak it through the GI tract, and mechanical force of our feet crashing into the ground at 180 plus or minus steps per minute. Women can also lose it through their menstrual cycle. And I forgot to mention, iron doesn't really absorb that well either. So before you decide to leave your car on the side of the road, walk it home, let's finish this out. We can run those diagnostics and we can get you back on track. So that's the thing with iron. It's just a, it's a bear to, uh, to really kind of figure out. So, so I want to switch away from the, from the silly car analogy. It just kind of came to me when I was writing this out. But I want to talk about iron stores. We're going to kind of switch, switch it completely different. We're going to kind of talk about a kitchen analogy now. Uh, so it's kind of like the pantry in your kitchen. You have the stuff you use every day in your cupboards and fridge, but you may also have some bulk items stored in the back stack. Uh, we use our day-to-day -day goods, and then we eat our cereal, cook our hamburger, and when we get low, we take another bag out from the, from the four we had from the, from the Costco trip or we we'll take another pound of burger that we bought in bulk at Costco, uh, and these things are good, right? We, re, we replenish the, the pantry and the fridge, and, and things are good. But the problem is we haven't been to Costco in two months, and we haven't been replenishing the long-term storage, right? So we, we have enough to replace the short-term, but the long-term supply is now starting to get in, eaten into, so to say. Uh, so right now, our day-to-day -day is fine because we're pulling, the, pulling from the reserves, right? We're pulling from that... That's that bulk storage that we had saved up, but the re reserves are only going to last for so long. And iron, iron deficiency works a bit in the same way. We have iron stored in blood called uh, a, a blood protein called ferritin. And when we're training hard, sweating profusely, and feet slapping away the concrete, the problem now is we will just pull it from the ferritin. And uh oh, I haven't been refilling the pantry as fast as I've been taking it out. So now we're starting to get into trouble. So. That's the, that's the problem, right? So if we don't refill, in this case, the ferritin with, with iron, uh, you know, it might not show up in our blood work right away because we still have enough overall. But if we continue on that trend, it's going to potentially be a problem. So stage one of iron deficiency, this is a diminished total body iron content, and it can be determined by looking at your serum ferritin. Performance might not be affected yet if the ferritin in the liver is only diminished, uh, but once the muscles have been starting to get impacted, then you'll start to see performance dropping. And this is where we have the pantry and we're using the iron here to satisfy the needs in other places in the body. So from red blood cells that we are breaking down, we're, we're re pulling from the ferritin to uh, replace those per se. 
And to be in the state, you are looking at serum ferritin levels less than 35 micrograms per liter. Uh, hemoglobin and transferrin saturated will be normal levels. Um, and I have those numbers in my show notes. Uh, but honestly, though, a lot of runners don't feel spunky after their levels drop below 50. So here I said under 35, but you might not feel very good once you get below 50. And there's no set number on that, but that's kind of what to take is for, for endurance athletes. Um, and so here knowing your trends is a good thing, right? And I, I think, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about it later, but there's a lot of options where you don't necessarily need to go to get a prescription to get your blood work done. You might be able to do it through some of these at-home services now. Uh, but knowing trends are, are a good thing, you know, and it doesn't have to be every month. It could be every, uh, you know, every quarter, once a quarter. Uh, if you're really serious about it, you could do it uh, after downtime and you've had your, your body's had a chance to recover and you're just starting back running again and then maybe again in the middle of a training block and then towards the end of a training block. But sometimes you don't want to know what's at the end of a training block because if it's really low, you don't have enough time to fix it before the, before the race. So, so it doesn't have to be a ton. The point is it doesn't have to be a lot of times. It can be a few times a year and you should be good. But keep track of those numbers and kind of and kind of note where you're at with the training segment and, and you should be able to pick up on trends. And then once you start feeling kind of rough, you'll, you'll kind of just start knowing what the situation is. Uh, all right, so, uh, you know, the, the, my, here, I, so 35 is, is kind of the, the threshold there. 50 is really where people kind of start feeling it. But I've actually had women in particular feeling completely exhausted and get their blood work and have the doc say it looks okay. It's still normal because it's, you know, it's, it, you look at the, the, the kind of the range on blood work and I think it's like 12 to 100 micrograms per liter. So it's a really big range, right? Um, and I say, well, let me take a, let me just take a look at it. I want to see what your numbers are. And I've seen it down to like eight, but more, most of the time it's like 12, 13, 14, 15. So it's like right on that borderline. So like, ah, you know, it's, you know, maybe a little bit, but not a big deal, but they can barely even train. Like it's a, it is a chore for them to even get out of bed and want to go for a run in the morning. They're that fatigued. And so, you know, we'll talk about some of the solutions later on, but we've essentially corrected that problem and they they felt amazing. Um, but I think the point here is that you need to make sure that if you're getting blood work done, you've got to have somebody look at it. So I think like, you know, and I'm not affiliated with Inside Tracker at all, but I think they have the actual numbers for, for what an endurance athlete would be or do a, with a sports physician, somebody you trust. You know, personally, I get mine done. I take it to my chiropractor because he works, he works with a ton of athletes. He knows uh, he knows what's going on, and uh, he knows my numbers too. He knows what he knows where I do. He knows where I should be, and he can give me really good sound advice and give me the right the right type of supplements that I would that are one not gonna have me test positive, and two do do a good job. So um, the last factor here is that ferritin levels can actually rise quickly due to stress, inflammation, and current infection which would give us a number that are falsely inflated. So, I mean, we keep talking about all these problems with ferritin. So your ferritin might come up a little bit high, but, you know, it might be inflated, but maybe say it's inflated to like 37 and you're sick and you're under a ton of stress and you're, you have inflammation from training hard. Uh, so you take that, with a, take that with a grain of salt. You got to kind of factor all those things into it. Um, and that's why it's good to have those trends, right? So have one where you're just starting training you're not under a lot of stress you're healthy and then what it normally is like once you get into heavier training and if all of a sudden those don't look the same 
you know something something is going going on there. All right, so stage two. At this point, the cupboards are sparse. Ham and cheese sandwiches have been now changed into grilled cheese sandwiches minus the ham. When we are at this point, ferritin stores are getting to the point where they can no longer support full production. We're basically rationing things off, right? Uh, so we're still able to make, in, our, in this case, we're still able to make red blood cells, but we just can't make them at full capacity. Capacity is reduced. Uh, and to compensate, your body will use try to use zinc to make up for the iron that is not readily available. And if we are in the stage, ferritin will drop below 20. Hemoglobin will be normal, but another blood protein which carries iron transferrin will be less than 15% saturation. So you want to look at that saturation rate as well. Um, and this, this simply means that less than 15% of that protein of transferrin, uh, less than 15% of that protein is actually carrying iron. So that's once you dip below that, now you're starting to get into a little bit more serious of, uh, of issues there. And you're definitely going to be feeling pretty darn fatigued at this point. Lastly, you're going to have stage three. And uh, now we're at the point where there's nothing in the cupboards or the fridge. We get to this stage, hemoglobin is now being affected. Hemoglobin is the protein that actually carries oxygen from the lungs to the muscle tissue, and then it brings carbon dioxide back to the lungs. And if we get to this point, everything will be lower. So ferritin is going to be less than 12. Transfer and saturation will be less than uh, 16. Hemoglobin is going to be uh, significantly less than normal, which is 115 uh, that I have. Um, if you are at this point, Training is going to be pretty darn tough to maintain if you can even train at all. Um, performance will significantly be down, and I'd actually be surprised if you are running anything of actual any any substance at all at this point. All right, so how do we actually improve it? And that's uh, that's what we're actually really concerned about with, right? So we we've already mentioned that there's problems with keeping iron levels up in in, in training hard, right? So it's 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 pretty tough to train really hard and keep iron levels at the appropriate levels. Um, we break it down at much faster rates than average people. And unfortunately, the bioavailability or the absorption rate is less than ideal, much less. Uh, you have two types of iron, uh, the, not, the hemi iron and the non-hemi iron. That's H-E-M-E, not H-E-M-I for you uh, uh, engine fans out there. Uh, hemi iron is more readily available and it's better absorbed than non-hemi iron. Uh, so 40% compared to guess it, 5%. That's uh, hemi to non-hemi iron, 40% absorbability compared to 5%. Wow, that's that's pretty impressive, right? So hemi, hemi iron is found mostly in animal sources, so it does make it tough if you're a vegetarian uh, or vegan to, to really uh, keep make sure you're getting those up, especially the fact that um, since non-hemi is nearly uh, um, 100%, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Non, plant sources is nearly 100% non-hemi, uh, so it makes it pretty darn tough. Uh, now, non-hemi is absorbed better when it's in the presence of hemi iron, so that's why eating a good balanced meal will definitely help, but it's not easy to get iron from the stomach to the bloodstream. That's the big takeaway. Um, so the first step you have to do is time your iron intake properly. Uh, another reason to make sure that you're getting your recovery food in, and this is because a meal with iron or a supplement uh, along with a glass of, of orange juice within 30 to 60 minutes of exercise uh, improves absorption of iron. So if you work out in the morning, maybe you put iron, like a, a liquid iron and orange juice in your smoothie, right? And, or you just 
you know, have your bowl of oatmeal, you have a glass of orange juice, and you take your uh, iron supplement with that. But 30 to 60 minutes is, is that window that where you really see that jump in um, absorbability. But regardless of running, this should be done in the morning. It's just the timing of the day. Um, foods like eggs, bacon, sausage, peanut butter are all higher sources in iron, along with chicken, spinach, and broccoli. Um, but on the flip side, and this is key too, um, milk and coffee reduce absorption significantly. So um, if you have your morning coffee, I know a lot of people who have their coffee then go for the run, which is, which is fine. But then once you get back, wait, wait a while for that coffee, that later coffee. So maybe do your breakfast thing, get your iron supplement in, uh, get ready for work or whatever you got to do and then have that coffee on the way to work or something like that. You know, so you just want to give yourself some time to absorb that in. Um, some other things are, uh, but that's the first thing you want to, we always want to try to fix it with our food first. Right. And then, and then, uh, then we can talk about supplements, which is the second step. And so working with a sports physician is key here, um, just for optimal dosage. I mean, I personally, you know, I don't want to get in trouble here. I don't want to get people mad and Hey, you're not a professional or whatever. But I think taking like a normal iron supplement um, in your training heart is not going to um, really impact you at all as far as the toxicity of taking too much iron, right? Um, simply because we know that it's hard to absorb and we know that uh, endurance athletes have a hard time keeping those levels up anyway. So um, I personally think it's not a big issue. However, uh, if you are concerned, talk to your uh, physician. All right, so um, I also know many of you do take an iron supplement anyway. So if you do a slow-release ferrous sulfate, so say that again, a slow-release ferrous sulfate is your best bet. Now, taking that every day can create GI issues. It can get your stomach upset. It can rip you up pretty good. Um, so taking the OJ definitely helps, but absorption between taking once a day and taking every other day didn't impact absorption significantly, but it did reduce GI symptoms. So, level, so what essentially what they were saying was uh, iron levels were increasing at the same time over the same time period as taking uh, a dose every day um, as it was taking it every other day, and people saw significantly fewer GI symptoms. So if you really want to, take it every other day um, and, then, uh, and then go from there. Uh, and the same thing, like taking it in the morning. So say a, a physician wants to put you on a pretty big dose, but they want to spread it out over the course of the day. Um, taking it in the morning uh, helped, but then taking it again at night actually reduced the absorbability of it. Um, so you were kind of better off not even taking it twice a day. Taking it, taking your supplement once a day would be plenty. So I'd say once a day to every other day, depending, and that would depend on your GI issues. Um, there is a patch available. Uh, however, it seems that the absorption rate of these are less than that of oral supplements. So, but these are pretty new um, improvements are constantly made. So I wouldn't write a patch off just yet. I just don't know if the uh, technology is on 100% there right now. But we know that these things can improve vastly over time. So that might be an option for you in the, in the future too. All right. So and I think the, I think the absorbability was like 60% um, of a supplement versus like 40% of the patch, I think is what I saw on there. So, um, but significantly less, 20% less, that's a third, a third less, um, 60 to 40%. So, you know, uh, we'll see. Uh, third step is an IV and we know IVs are all the rage. I mean, I've probably seen about 15 IV, uh, places open up around us, but, uh, 
Uh, so you should probably just go get an IV, call it a day. So I'm kidding, of course. Don't don't be foolish. All right. Uh, I don't think you can. I don't even think you can get these at an IV shop. And you get B vitamins, and that's about it. But uh, in any case, uh, these work with a 100% absorption rate, which is pretty good. Uh, but you do have to have a have to work with a physician here, which you should. You should be working with a physician here. Uh, over the years, I've had some physicians adamant that a person only get with severe problems. Uh, however, these are, and these are no knocks. On, this is not a knock on family physicians. Um, they just don't work with athletes, and I don't know if they, you know. And I get it; they're covering they're covering their own uh, tail here. But um, on the other hand, I've seen many sports docs offered up if the blood work indicated it that it was necessary. And the thing is, too, if you do get a if you do get a blood test, say three weeks before your uh, big race. Uh, getting an IV will definitely uh, turn turn the tables on on that for sure. I've had, you know, I've literally had the same the same women I were ta- I was talking about above went in and they saw a sports doc, um, one saw a blood doc, and they they got the IV and they literally went from like a zombie to running PRs within few days really I mean they were it was amazing like it was it was literally somebody flipped a switch in their body and um they really turned it around but they were I mean they just felt so beat down uh that they just couldn't train uh and this just did wonders for them so I get that it's serious anytime you're dealing with an IV it is serious um but I think that if the blood work indicates it um especially if you're already past stage one and you know it's just it's not a good place to be anyway right um, so anyway, you know, talk to your doctor, talk to a sports doc, um, get the pros and cons on it, but it's definitely an option out there for you. Um, you know, like I said, I had people set PRs within a couple of weeks, even, and just feel so much better within even a few days. Um, but, uh, the key here is if you do go this route, get your blood tested a month later, and then again, six months later after that to see what your ferritin's doing, cause your ferritin's going to jump way up and then. Uh, if you're training really hard and you keep training really hard, it's slowly going to come back down. So you want to keep an eye on the rate of the rate that it's coming back down. Just kind of see what it's actually doing. Um, so that you know, I, I, that's a great option for you. Uh, I think that it, it is an option if you see a sports doc and, and talk to them about it and see uh, what their opinion is. Um, so if you are starting to feel tiredness, fatigue, most importantly, this is the biggest one. If you, you're feeling those things is one thing that can be chalked up to training hard, things like that. But loss in performance is always the key, right? Like if it's one thing to go on an easy run and say, man, I just feel tired. But then after a mile or two, you're back, you found your rhythm, you're into it. Same thing with the workout. You might feel terrible on the work and the warm up, but then you get in the workout and it's not easy, but you kind of settle into your rhythm and you find in the paces, you're, you're right on. You know, that's not a loss in performance. It's just That's just training hard. But if you find yourself workout after workout after workout, and these workouts that you've done in the past and you've done them well in the past, and now all of a sudden they're just each one's just getting worse and worse and worse, something's not right. And the first thing I'd look at is your, is your carbohydrate intake because that's that's the easiest thing to actually look at. But at the same time, you know it doesn't hurt to get uh, the blood work done. The carbohydrate's simple to do; it's not invasive. But the blood work you do, you have to you know it's kind of a pain in the butt to go maybe get a doctor's order and then go get a blood draw and then wait a week and get the get the uh, results or whatever. But there's other options now too. You know, companies like Inside Tracker, others allow you to streamline this process. Like any, I think even like 
anylabtestnow.com. Uh, there's one, there was one right by our old office, and I looked them up, and it was like, you know, it was like 100 bucks to go get an iron test or whatever. But just the time that it would save would be, to, would really be worth it for me, you know. Um, but the thing is, like, you've you got to figure it out anyway, right? you got to figure out why it is, um, especially if you're in the middle of a really big, important segment, and you really want to, you know, you're chasing a Boston Qualify for whatever the case is, we want to know where you're at, and, and we, we want to know how your body's reacting to training, you know. So, um, and it's not a it's not a once a week thing. We're talking about a once every two three months at the earliest, right? Um, but anyway, so uh, if you the thing is too, if you go get it read, say your your general practitioner says, hey, okay, let's get a blood work done. You know, they're gonna they're gonna let you get blood work done. They're not gonna they're not gonna just you know say no. Um, and they come back, your ferritin's at 25, your, your GP says it's fine, but you know better because now you know what the number should be, right? So you know 35 is kind of the threshold. You know, find a sports doc or a physician that works with runners um, or is a runner themselves and kind of get it, right? You know, that's always key. You, got, you're your own, you're, you're, you are your biggest advocate and you got to, you know, that may mean having to search it out a little bit, but um, finding the person that's going to work with you is, is key. Um, and then from there, time your iron intake with with uh, whatever the supplement is that a, a physician puts you on, or if you take a su- supplement. But really focus on that morning iron intake, uh, and with your and make sure your diet's on point too. So don't take the milk, don't take the coffee, take the OJ and iron. You set yourself up to to absorb it at the highest rate possible, since we know that it's not going to be absorbed very well. Um, all right, so my biggest piece of advice is don't let it get past phase two. I think it'd be tough to get past phase two. Uh, I think you're, if you're training hard, you're going to know uh, pretty pretty well on something's not right. But if you're six weeks into a plan, you're tired, workouts are slowing down. Now, I'm not, you know, and there's a difference too, and that's where working with a coach is good too. Because if you're just coming off a base segment and you do like one workout a week and your easy runs are ripping really fast, but then you get into training and your easy runs slow down, that's not really performance decrease. That's probably you actually just slowing down into the appropriate range. But if your workouts are trending downward and everything's getting a little bit worse, um, that's not a good sign. You've got to get something checked out. So, um, But I, I urge you to get it checked out as soon as you can um, simply because you can, you can fix the segment, right? If it's six weeks in and you still have 12 weeks to go, we can still fix it, right? We can. We, maybe we have to take a week of just easy running, get you on a supplement, or get you get to see what's going on in your diet. But we can do those things, right? And we can make that turn. It's a little bit slower with iron, but you know, if we have anything over four to six weeks, we can see a turnaround. We can save the segment, right? We can we can modify, adapt, adjust what we need to nutritionally, and we can bring that level back up. And 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 it's and it's ultimately nice too because. So many times I see people who go down this road but don't ever get tested, they don't ever get their blood work done, and it's always like, they always end up being in the same cycle. Like, they'll get to a certain point where they have the ability to train hard, but something's always happening, and it could be simple as this, and we just don't know because we've never gotten it tested. So we've always just assumed that it was because I was training too hard, or I can't handle this training, or whatever the case is, when the reality is your body's just not able to keep up with what you're doing, but we can fix how it's not keeping up, right? We can fix that issue, you know, and I think that's super key, especially because I know a lot of you are training for big races, you want to, you have big goals, and so something like this can really save a segment and really help push you more towards those goals and get you to those Boston qualifiers, get you under three and a half hours, get you under three hours, whatever the case is. 
we can do those things. So, um, so I think that's some good information for you guys. Uh, you know, having those numbers I think is key, especially because if you look at a normal blood work and the the ranges are so big that it doesn't necessarily help you, right? You need numbers that are specific to the endurance athlete. So uh, hopefully you got something out of this. Thanks for listening, and uh, we will talk to you next time. All right, have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Luke Humphrey Running Podcast with your host, Luke Humphrey. If you like our show and want to learn more, please visit us at www.lukehumphreyrunning.com for blogs, podcasts, coaching, and training options. See you next time.